Welcome into Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is September 22nd, 2021, and this is episode 330. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we'll we'll update an old Bird's Eye View favorite. And we'll also take stock of what's left in 2021. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus. What are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a Your Move, Polly, a German-style Oktoberfest from Independent Brewing Company, uh, winner of a gold medal, uh, I think, from the World uh, Beer Classic. Um, not bad. Nice little Marzen. Whenever I drink a Marzen, though, I'm always remembered back to the old Clipper City days with Mars Hun, um, and I miss it. It's, I just miss it. But, Yeah. Perfectly acceptable. Yeah. My drink of the week is the orange crush that I made earlier this evening uh, for my wife and I to enjoy with dinner. Right now, I'm I'm working my way through a cola with uh, coconut rum and lime in a very fancy glass. In a, in a very fancy um, faux plastic Orioles mason jar, which my wife liberated for a low, low price from the ballpark of dear god i i don't even want to know yeah it was um let's just say uh merchandise like that does not come cheap especially when it's filled with alcoholic beverages uh if you want to know what we're drinking on a daily slash weekly basis follow jake's wife on no follow me on untapped at meg at 8606 i'm at jake e4025 and with that why don't we go on over into the medical wing Yeah. Uh, Jake, uh, there are a lot of people on the 60-day high out. <laughs> it's true. But I, I think the uh, the notable news uh, today is Ramon Urias heading to the 10-day IL. Now, he will be uh, eligible to come back for the very end of the season, I think, in Toronto. Uh, but clearly, you know, making enough roster space yep. for us to see other people play infield. Absolutely. like I, I guess. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, um, you know, I think the other big news that came out a day or two ago was DJ Stewart being shut down for the season, mm-hmm. going on the 60-day IL. He's going to go through a knee surgery as well this offseason. They're saying that he'll be back in time for spring training slash opening day. Um, okay. You're assuming that DJ Stewart's back next year, right? Yes. Okay. Is there a reason why? Because we don't have any reason not to have him. But do we have a good reason why? It's just it's just filling a slot, basically, yeah, right? Yeah. He's an org soldier right now. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the other interesting thing is, you know, Chris Ellis day to day. I I like watching Ellis pitch. I'd I'd like to see if there's anything there. You know, if if his ceiling was a fifth starter at the major league level, that would be amazing. Yeah. But we're not going to know that unless we see him pitch here. Uh, so it's a bummer that he he can't go. I think he was supposed to pitch on Tuesday, couldn't go. Uh, turned into a bullpen game. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to see him pitch. I'd like to see more of him to see what we've got. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned the infielders with Ron Urias going onto the 10-day IL, more than likely done for the season. 
Um, but again, you also have Jorge Mateo now on the 60-day IL. Um, so the uh, infielder slots are getting few and far between as well, um, which again has left for plenty of spots and time for Pat Valaika to have plenty at bats. And even Jemai Jones got the call up again after being sent down to Norfolk to get some more at bats. Um, so he's back with the major league team as of today. Um, you know, hopefully going to get into lineup with all those injuries. It's weird. I, I didn't hear the uh, the throng of crowds clamoring for him this time. Oh, I did. I don't. Uh... That means you just need to check Twitter today. <laughs> Must have been. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, you've got I think it's six players now in the sixty day IL. Um, extending out your your 40-man roster. I mean, without the Chris Davis, you know, retirement, you would have had seven individuals on the 60-day IL. That seems like a lot. Like, it seems like a lot, a lot um, for an extended 40-man roster. So, I don't know. Um, That must be why this team is so bad. I just think the Orioles are going to have some really interesting choices coming up of when all those guys come off the 60-day IL, they have to be added back to the 40-man roster. Um I think the Orioles are going to have to make some decisions of like who is actually going to remain and then who's going to go. So that's why I raise those questions of like, you know, Matt Harvey, who we've talked about before, does he have a spot going forward? I would think yes, based off of him being a cheap arbitration standpoint, but DJ Stewart's one of those individuals where I don't know, like if they could pick up somebody off the waiver wire, I think they know what they have with DJ Stewart. Now I, I feel like maybe it's time to maybe cut bait or trade him he was a topic of trade conversation in last offseason. The Orioles wanted to see more of him. I feel like the Orioles organization has seen all they need to see for DJ Stewart at this point. I think the other factor with all these guys is who will pass through waivers if you have to designate them, right? right? Somebody being designated does not end their Orioles career. Sure. Particularly when the Orioles are, you know, the 30th best major league team. Yeah, I would agree with that. Of um, Just because someone says in the retirement doesn't mean that they don't get ushered down into Norfolk. Um, a little bit trickier during the offseason. Sure. But something just to keep an eye on with all those individuals on the 60-day IL. Um, but with that, let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. I want to start with a tweet by uh, Fallerstottle at Nick J. Falaris, um, who responded to a tweet from uh, Matt Kremnitzer, which had a, a comment about uh, Anthony Santan, uh, Santander, which ended with, I'm not sure what his future is with the Orioles, but I hoped he'd be better. And uh, and Nick quote tweeted this and said, evergreen tweet while blocking out the comment about Santander. Yeah, that's true. Any Oriole, you could say, I'm not sure what his future is with the club, but I hoped he'd be better. All right. So coming back to this standpoint, Santander versus DJ Stewart. Who would you rather see more see more playing time? Santander. Me and Harvey as well. I'd rather see Santander. Um, he's an interesting corner outfielder to me. Good fourth outfielder potentially. Not great defensively. But I'm fine with that. Like sure. I said, I'm, I'm good with that. So, again, this comes back to kind of my thought of like, I, I just don't see a role for DJ Stewart going forward. I'd rather even see Ryan McKenna yes. over DJ Stewart. So it's like, if you've got McKenna, you've got DJ Stewart, I mean, you got out Santander. Like, do you really need DJ Stewart anymore, or is it time just to kind of call it shop? Well, you know, we're looking for a third baseman. I'm, oh, just, we, I'm just kidding. We That's are always looking for a third baseman and a second baseman and a pitcher and everything. Hey, you know, I play left, I play right. Maybe this is an opportunity for him to go back to the minors, learn how to pitch, and uh, you know, he can be like a new Michael Gibbons. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's a great idea. You know, speaking of outfielders, this tweet came out today from. 
uh, you know, first round draft pick Heston Kerstad at Heston Kerstad, finally back swinging the bat again. And um, yeah, he's just in the cage swinging the bat. Um, so a few things I noticed that that I, I think this is great, but a few things that kind of unnerved me is he seems really small, like his legs and stuff like that seem really small. He's got a really awkward swing right now. Um, so I'm, it's great that he's in the batting cages and doing it. But, man, he looks like he's really far away. <laughs> well, you know, uh, as long as we've got DJ Stewart, we can wait for him to get right. And that's the perfect setup. This is what we do here at Bird's Eye View. <laughs> Our next tweet comes from the Baltimore Orioles. At Orioles. I've heard of them. John Means has an OPS, a career OPS of 929. That's pretty yeah, good. It's pretty good. You know who that's better than? Hmm. DJ Stewart. This tweet is both true and fun. And so that's that's good. That's good. All right. Uh, the next tweet comes from uh, Connor Grisario. Uh You can follow him at CG underscore 410. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't miss this whatsoever. Um, like, I really don't miss this whatsoever. Um, so Connor posts, I mean, Mike Wright is this bad. But this is 100% intentional. Uh, and it's Michael Riley being ejected in the ninth inning after hitting Otani with a pitch. Uh, and, of course, his coach, Tony LaRusso, was also ejected soon after. Um, I'm not totally surprised by this. That's no, a total Hufflepuff move. It is a total Hufflepuff move. Um, but, yeah, seriously. this is. I think this is more on LaRusso than it is Mike Wright. I think Mike Wright's just being the loyal, loyal org soldier. But, man, not good. Not a good look. Not a good look for anybody involved. That's for sure. All right, next we're going to go to a tweet from uh, Rock Baco, who, of course, tweets at Mass and Rock. And it's about Trey Mancini. And I just, I challenge you, everyone listening, I challenge you to not love Trey Mancini as a person. It's, it's impossible not to. He tweets as follows. Mancini on the oblique injury. Quote, cancer is the only thing that's put me on the IL in my career, and I'd like to keep it that way. End quote. That's a great quote. Man, it is. It is nice, nice having Trey Mancini on our team. It's going to suck this offseason when they trade him. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, Scotty, I'm not sure if there's anything else that happened on social media this week. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if there's anything else uh, that's worth noting, anything that, that caught the attention of Birdland <laughs> on social media. But listen, I've been thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I'm grossly underpaid for my participation on this podcast, and I'm going to shut things down right now unless you Venmo me 20 bucks right now. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'm not familiar with, with what a Venmo is um, because I'm an old man, um, but I'll tell you what. Um, throughout this podcast, um, I will see what I can do, and I will see if, if we can incentivize you accordingly uh, for the content that you're generating. Look. I prepared for this, Scott. I prepared for this appearance, and I'm going to promote it when we're done. And unless you feed the meter while we're here on this podcast, I'm going to shut it down. We're going to be done. What exactly is a meter? Like, <laughs> where do I insert the coinage is, is my question. That is a dangerous question on yes. this podcast. But my point stands. You owe me money for my creative input, and you're not giving it to me. You know, I did the math, Scott. And you... Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. Jake English did the math? Was, you really did prepare for this podcast. It was in a social science kind of way. I did the math, 
and you owe me back pay of anywhere from sixteen to thirty-two thousand dollars for the three hundred and thirty plus episodes we put together of Bird's Eye View. That's international slot money, correct? Yes. Okay, I just want to make sure. And we are talking about international money here. Okay, I just want to make sure that we we had covered that specifically to basically make sure where we were good with that. So, so there you go. There's your money. Okay. All right. Listen. Throughout the show, I'm going to remind you. Okay. Okay. All right. We're professionals here, Scott. We expect to be taken seriously because we take ourselves way too seriously. Absolutely. No question. So like I said, we will occasionally pop open, you know, the occasional aspect to pay you off, Jake, basically for your insight. No question about it. And with that, I think we should take a break. I'll uh, count this to make sure it's right. And uh, when we come back, we'll go around the bases. All right, let's go ahead and go around the bases. Scott, I'm going to start at first base. I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or not, but playing spoilers sucks. Uh, I didn't like celebrating the 2011 Andino game, and I don't like playing spoiler now. Um, Sure, I guess these September games are meaningful to someone. It's just that it's someone else. And nothing about uh, what it means to those other teams can wash away the first 150-plus games of terrible Orioles baseball that I've I've had to endure this season. So I, I can't really do the mental gymnastics required to, to celebrate our role in these last games. Uh, I'm going to enjoy them because I love baseball and I, and I like watching the Orioles and I'm going to try to like, you know, suck up the baseball every night while we've got it, but I'm not going to relish uh, playing spoiler. I think that that is uh, that's weak sauce. What about you? Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's fun when it, it's against AL East teams, specifically the Yankees. Um, but past that, like I'm looking at this Philly series and I'm left with a very like, eh, like I'm glad we won, but it doesn't really bother me that we lost as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, for the AL East, ruining the Yankees playoff hopes is kind of nice. That's the only thing I'll say. And again, I think it comes back to, to 2011. If it wasn't the Red Sox, I don't think it would have hit in the same impact, but it's the Red Sox and it's the fan base that came into Camden Yards all the time. So it just feels kind of good to see all them with their mouths gaping open and being everly disappointed. Sure. I, I guess, I guess 10 years later, I'm, I'm over it. I, I was over it the next day. See, I don't think you're quite over it. And, and here's why I'll tell you this. Um, there's a certain enjoyment that I think you take out of playing the spoiler. So like when there's a fan that is chanting, let's go last place. And then, the Orioles have a tendency to walk off against that team that the person was cheering against. There's a certain um, Scheidenfreude um, aspect that uh, you you take particular enjoyment out of. Right, you're baiting me. I am baiting you. But we're going to get there later in the show. Yes. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I think it it's all about context. Orioles baseball is all about context. And I think framing it around Yankees baseball or Red Sox, um, even the Blue Jays to a certain regard, and basically um, making it... Uh, potentially more painful for their fan bases is well worth it. We absolutely have to contextualize Orioles baseball. Otherwise we'd go mad. All right. Take us to second base. All right. So uh, we got to talk about this. 
Um, Sledrick Mullins is the clear MVO. Um, we've got to talk about the catch that he made yeah. in center field. Um, I mean, it's not truly center field, it's center right field. But my gosh, what a what a catch. Or as Kevin Brown says it, a gatch um, <laughs> in his, his play-by-play. Um, no offense, Kevin. Like, I, I didn't think he was going to catch it either. Um, but yeah, wow. Like, that's a great play. Um, you know, that's probably one of the better plays that I think I can remember back through Cam York's history. Um, I, I, I want to say it rivals the Trout, you know, catch against J.J. Hardy. Uh, in terms of height and everything like that, too. We won't see it over and over and over again. And so we it clearly... I disagree. I think we're going to see it over and over and over again for years to come as Orioles fans. Um, specifically, again, because it's against the Yankees. So from a contextual basis... There you go again. It, it helps. I it, it was a great catch. It was nice to see him get up. And this, I'm not... Uh, I'm not teasing him about his stature, but he, he's he's a shorter guy. Yeah. So for him to get up and get that ball was was really impressive. It kind of reminds me, I don't know how tall Devereaux was, but you know, get at least compared to Anderson, you yeah. know, Devereaux playing center was was a shorter guy, and I do vividly remember him, you know, going over the wall, curling the arm around the wall to go yeah. get plenty of them. Uh, that that was exactly the memory it brought back in yeah. me was was watching Devereaux play. So. It's incredible to me to see Mullins put this season together where, you know, we are talking about the fact that he's doing it at the plate. He's doing it on the base pads, but he's also been doing it in the field oh, sure. all season. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely one of the top 10 outfielders in all of Major League Baseball right now. Um, I think he's at 12 outs above average right now. So, I mean, you know, if we look at his war statistics, yeah, part of it is on the basis of, you know, the stolen bases, the the plate discipline, stuff like that. But let's not overlook that he has played an absolutely stellar center field um, throughout this entire season. Um, in fact, I really can't think of many like significant misplays he's had. Um, he's had great range and stuff like that. The only thing I would say too is like I can't think of a really like immediate play that like arm mm-hmm. like arm strength came in. Um, but past that, like he's shown what he's good at, and that's range, um, and that's a big deal because. We often knocked Adam Jones from the range standpoint. We knew he had the arm, but range was always kind of somewhat iffy with Adam. Help me with my memory here. Am I remembering correctly that arm strength was a serious concern for Mullins in previous seasons, and it, whereas not a strength, hasn't been a topic of conversation this season? I feel like that is the case, too. I mean, I can pull up the scouting reports, but like I said, I think Mullins has always had like an average um, Mm -hmm. arm. Um like I said, that it hasn't come up at all. I don't remember any plays that I'm like, ah, Mullins probably should have got him mm-hmm. um, if he makes a good throw there. Um, that being said, too, there might not just be that many like close instances where we're just kind of breezing it past. Or, or games where it would have mattered. Correct, right? exactly. N- n- none of them really cost us anything. Correct. So, be, I mean, there's always this kind of conversation at the end of the season with the beat writers of like, who's going to be the most valuable Oriole? It's already done. Right? Like, it's been done for a no long time at this point. <laughs> Um, you know, Cedric Mullins is clearly the individual, which again is super surprising because, you know, coming into the season, I was like, well, Trey Mancini has to be the MVO sure. because just the comeback story alone is going to basically get him that, 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 that vote. The, the other thing about Mullins, you know, as we look back at the season is looking back at the all-star game, he was the starter because of, of, uh, injury. It's nice that he wasn't just a pity pick yes. in retrospect, right? It's nice that he wasn't just having a good couple of months when, you know, when it counted. He has had an absolute all-star season. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, he has um, 
had an all-star season. I, I'm not sure if I would go as far as an MVP season because there are some really amazing players right now in the American League, um, Otani being one of them. But again, let's not look past, you know, Flag Rarer Jr. Over in, over in Toronto. But Cedric Mullins is playing, we'll call it, um, I'd say top 10 baseball at this given moment. Like, I would say, like, Cedric Mullins is probably, like, I want to say the fourth or fifth best player in the American League right now. I think he's good. I don't know that he's Mike Wright will throw at him good. That's a fair point. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, but again, we don't play Tony La Russa that often, too. So it, it is what it is. Not without a time machine. So Cedric Mullins Here is. Thank you. No, no problem. Thank you. So <laughs> Cedric Mullins is the most valuable <laughs> Oriole. Uh, what about some other awards? You talked about Trey Mancini. He's got to be the Orioles comeback player of the year. And frankly, should be recognized by everyone in the universe as such. I mean, I also want to talk about the standpoint of like Mancini was nominated for the Roberto Clemente award for major league baseball. And, you know, I certainly know that it is about, you know, play on the field, play off the field, community interaction. I, I don't know what to say besides like, I don't know how Mancini doesn't get this this year. Like, I just don't understand it. Um, so, I mean, I know it comes down to partially a fan vote, but also a peer vote. I, I, I just don't see how he doesn't win. Like, I, I don't know how he can't. Um, yeah. And I know it hasn't been really talked about much, but like, man, like that's a big deal. Like the only other, I think Oriole that has won the Roberto Clemente award was, was Cal Ripken. Um, and, and he was okay. He was okay. And that was in 92. So, I mean, they had to give it to him as a, you know, consolation prize for not winning the MVP in, in the following year after 91. Um, but yeah, Mancini's obviously the comeback player of the year. But like I said, I think it's bigger than that. I think it's the aspect of he's comeback player for Major League Baseball. And I think he should get the Roberto Clemente award. I mean, I know I'm a biased. I'm an Orioles fan. But I, I can't think of a better story is the best way to put it. No. Um, and again, think about all the efforts he's going out there to raise – um, you know, awareness as it relates from a colon cancer standpoint, um, everything like that. He's been doing work with various charities, both in the local area, but also at the national level too. I, I, like I said, I, I, for me, it's a slam dunk. Um, I'm extremely biased here, but uh, I, I think Trey Mancini should get all the accolades this offseason. No, no argument here. Um, let's talk about uh, Ryan Mountcastle. Sure. Still, still rookie status. Still rookie status. Uh, I think as far as Orioles rookies are concerned, he's the cream of the crop. There's no question. Uh, he won't sniff the AL Rookie of the Year race, right? He won't. Um, he's good. There's yeah. no question about that. He's good. There are just some other players that are a smidge better, is the best way to put it. Um, he's very similar to Mullins, which is like, he's probably one of the top five rookies. He's just... Off the podium, unfortunately. <laughs> you know what, though? Like, dude, I'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, coming into April, uh, or coming out of April, we are like, ugh, mm -hmm. what is this going to look like? Is this kind of a sophomore slump for Mount Castle? And we say sophomore slump even though he's in a rookie year because of, you know, the games that are played last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can look at everything that Mount Castle has done May to now and say, yeah, Mountcastle has the ability to play in the major leagues. He may not be a talent like a Mancini. He may not be a talent like a Mullins. But again, he's also super young. Um, there's enough there that you're like, all right, 
we got to find what we're going to do with him. Is he going to be the first baseman that replaces Mancini in the future? Or is he going to be the DH going forward? And I think those are the two big questions that go into the offseason. And when you look at what is this team going to look like when they're good? What is what is the next competing team going to look like? Mountcastle's there. Yeah. There's no question. A- and even if he is, quote unquote, only, you know, complementary talent, it takes the Jonathan Scopes of the world to build good Oriole clubs. Yeah. Right? I mean, if that is his ceiling, that'd be disappointing, but it's still a big piece of the club. I think I said coming into the season that I didn't consider him to be an all-star, and I said, I'm kind of hoping he comes out to be like a two to three war player. Mm-hmm. And watching it this year, I mean, he's going to come out to be around a two war player this year. And again, he's still young. I think it's easy to see Ryan Mountcastle as a consistent two to three war player going forward in the future. Yeah, I agree. If he had great defense, he'd be a Mullins like player. But unfortunately, he doesn't have good defense. True. True. All right, let's uh, amble our way into third base. And I want to talk about Brandon Hyde. Yeah. Uh, just just announced that Brandon Hyde will be back in 2022. I didn't realize that was um, in question. But uh, apparently his previous deal was uh, was up at the end of 2021, and he and the team signed a quote-unquote previously unreported uh, signing that will take him at least through 2022. Uh, so, how does this not come out by the beat writers? Like, how do they not know this? This seems like it's something that everyone knows and they're just not going to talk about and they're going to release right before the season because... Maybe, maybe it's the type of deal where they asked the question and the club was like, guys, leave it until the end and we'll deal with it then. Or it was the team like, hey, do you guys want to report this? And the beat writers are like, actually, we'd love for you to announce it the last week of the season <laughs> so that we can write a bunch of column pieces specifically right. saying, is Hyde the right fit for this club going forward? Well, now that you've asked the question... Uh, let's, let's dig that apart. I, I mean, we talk all the time, like, how do we evaluate what he's doing? You know, he's not, he's not a major league manager because he doesn't have a major league club right now. Correct. Right. But I, I think the, the question that I have is when do we start evaluating Hyde? Right. In a, in a meaningful way. And I think it's next year. I, I think it comes back to next year is the year that you start evaluating it. I mean, if you're going to start pulling the likes of Rutschman Grayson Rodriguez up. And I'm not saying to begin the season. Mm -hmm. I think, honestly, I do think Adley starts with the team beginning next year. I know most people are not saying that he is. I think he's going to start with the team to begin the season next year. Um, Let's go even with the basis of like, they start showing up in May and June. Um, I still think that that would give you a three month period to basically judge and say, does this team bond with, with Brandon Hyde? I don't think Rutschman's going to start because uh, they're going to give most of the starting, uh, games at catcher to dj stewart to start mm. the season that's a good year. point sorry it's a good go point uh, yeah like i said I, I i completely agree like i don't think you can evaluate Hyde to this point but i do think next year is the year that you can start putting it together and saying is Hyde going to be able to potentially bond with the nucleus in order to basically push this team going forward um and if he doesn't I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just a, you know, thanks for, for doing what you did. We're, we're going to see you out. And then it turns back to probably promoting someone from like Bowie um, to basically just be an internal candidate to bring up. What's uh, what's Dave Tremley doing these days? Uh, I think he's smoking a cigar. Uh, Sam Perlazzo? Um, I, I, is he dead? I, I don't know. I think Hold Sam Plaza's dead. Oh, no. How did I miss that? 
That's terrible. If I just killed Sam Perlazzo, I apologize, <laughs> Sam Perlazzo. I'm sure you're listening. Cumberland, Maryland is weeping. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think that that's that's in- interesting. Next year, okay, I could buy that because you know we're we're you and I have been talking about the following season, 23, being when you know things will start to matter. And I think if if it's gonna matter, you got to have a manager in place that you believe in. And so yeah, I mean, 2022 is basically the audition for you know, can you be here when the games matter? Sam Perlazzo not dead, by the way, 70 years old. I'm delighted. No problem. I'm delighted to hear that. <laughs> Bird's Eye View just took a very dark turn. Uh, speaking of turn, let's turn into home plate. Yep. And uh, fun fact here, Scotty. Yeah. Glaber Torres. Yeah. Has not hit a home run against the Orioles since 2019. Now, of course, 2020 is short season. Short season. But he hasn't hit a home run since 2019. I think I know what it is. Oh, is it just that he's not become as good of a player over the past two years? No, Scott, that's not the answer. I mean, the Yankees are Yankees fans are talking about like is Glaber Torres part of the future for them? Here's the here's the deal. Yep, Glaber Torres is powerless without Gary Thorne. Ooh, Gary Thorne's horror at Glaber Torres's performance against the Orioles fueled him in a way that nothing else could. It was the misery of Gary Thorne. That spurred Glaber Torres to great things. So what I'm hearing is uh, the New York Yankees this offseason need to trade Glaber Torres to New York Mets. And Gary Thorne and Keith Hernandez need to call all Mets games going forward. And Glaber Torres will hit approximately 283 home runs in a given season. <laughs> oh, mercy. <laughs> oh, mercy. Would you stop throwing to him? All right. <laughs> I want you to put a pin in Gary Thorne. Because we're going to talk about him when we get back. I just did, and whiskey is literally coming out of him. <laughs> let's, let's take a break. And now there's ice cream coming out. Is this Dippin' Dots? Soup? <laughs> let's take a break and come back. All right, while I clean off my hands from all this sticky mess. That's the turtle soup, yes? Absolutely. It's nothing else in in SD Studios. Um, Being an Orioles fan can be a taxing prospect. Yes, it can. We've known this for quite some time. Um, You know, Camden Chat used to talk about this all the time, where they had a bottle of Tanqueray right there in the right-hand column. While we all posted on... um, I guess it was like a blog feed. It's amazing. That's the way we used to interact with each other within that community. Play tablets. Um, but yeah, um, sometimes it was important during the Dark Ages and even now to take the edge off, as it were. Um, and it was sometimes best to enjoy your Orioles baseball with a beverage or two or three. Or seven. Or 12. Whatever you felt was comfortable for you. I mean, we are not here to judge, as it were, how much Sarah English is spending on um mason jars from camden yards um but this is the reason we start every show with the drink of the week because you know misery loves company and misery in our company is you know fuel with a little bit of alcohol um you know in early june of 2013 we started to pontificate on this basis of what would be the perfect oriole strength and we lovingly dubbed it the drunk gary thorn 
Um, and now Gary is no longer with the team. He has moved on. I would like to say brighter pastures, but I mean, Keith Hernandez, you know, the only good thing he has going from is a Seinfeld cameo. Um, and much of the 2013s is a faint, distant memory. Um, and now we, we have to come up with new ideas for Orioles themed drinks, especially if we're going to be entering into more of a competitive baseball in 2022, 2023. We may be watching more games. Um, so it's our hope, dear listener, that you'll you'll pitch in, you'll recommend your finest Orioles cocktails with us. But until then, um, me and Jake have come up with a few recommendations, as it were, in terms of um, you know drinks that you may be able to procure and make yourself. So, uh, Jake, who you who wants to start here? Uh, I'll go, I'll go first. Okay, all right. Um, I'm going to start out with a classic. Okay, okay, and this is the John Means business. Okay. When I think of business drinks, yep, I think of the three martini lunch. Nice. Right? I, I I argue and and pretty seriously that uh, society has gone down the tubes since the three martini lunch was was ushered out. Uh, we needed it as a coping mechanism as a society, and, and so I, I think the John Means business is just your classic martini, right? It is. Um, it is. Gin, vermouth, olive, maybe a lemon twist if you want. John means business. It's funny. I had a very similar one. Mine was means business as well. Um, and I also went with a gin cocktail as well for nice. means business. So mine is gin with some honey because, again, it's so sweet to watch John means pitch. Um, but I've also topped it off with a lemon, little bit of lemon juice. And the reason for that is I want that little bit of tanginess because when you're watching the Baltimore Orioles, you may be watching you know, a great pitcher – um, but there's also a little bit of sourness watching the rest of the Orioles play. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Uh, Scotty, I've got another one. Okay. <clears throat> this is perhaps not um, as positive an association. Okay. So maybe this is on a bad night. Yeah. I think that there are times where you you just, <clears throat> you've got to order the embarrassing drink. And so at times like this, I think you need to go for the Aubrey Huff. Mm. And the Aubrey Huff is a blushing whiskey sour using uh, a very specific brand of whiskey called Toxic Masculinity. Actual brand of whiskey. There you go. And uh, usually a blushing whiskey sour is garnished with blackberries. But in this particular beverage, the Aubrey Huff, it is garnished with sour grapes. So uh, a couple of sour grapes, two ounces of lemon simple syrup, an ounce of uh, Toxic Masculinity, all over crushed ice. Uh, that is your This Has Been a Bad Night I need an Aubrey Huff. So, like I said, I'm going to try to keep it a little bit more positive going through it. You know, we were just talking about this individual being, you know, part of the nucleus going forward. We talked about Ryan Mountcastle. Um, so I do think that if Ryan Mountcastle is going to be as young as he is, there are going to be instances where we need to have a drink in honor of Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, so this drink is what I'm calling Mounting the Castle. Uh, it is going to be two ounces of mead. It's going to be a uh, ounce and a half of spiced rum. We're going to top it off with a few dashes of orange bitters, and then we're going to top it on top with a little bit of a caramelized sliced pineapple. I like this. I like this a lot. A little sweet, a little bit of a little bit of spice aspect there with the kind of the, the Malyard reaction, the spiced rum. Um, again, something that you might see a Viking basically be drinking uh, for someone that is storming the castle. Uh, Scotty. Yes. Do you have the coin sound ready? Uh, I, I I can find that aspect. Yes, one second. Uh, 
Um, how about I, I give you something along these lines? It's not quite a coin sound, but I think it'll be okay. Thank you. I'll I'll just uh, pocket that. <clears throat> I apologize for what I'm about to say. I think that's in Australian dollars I gave you, by the way. But my apologies. Uh, I I want to drink in honor of Tyler Wells. Mm-hmm. And Tyler Wells. Why? A, a lot of things going for him. Does he? Yeah, absolutely. Scott, he's the he's the Orioles closer. Is he? He's the Orioles closer, and he is a tall drink of water. Mm. He's a tall man. He's the tallest Oriole on the roster. That's always worked out well for us. Tall mm-hmm. Orioles with lack of command. Yeah. So this is a cocktail designed to be uh, served in a highball glass, and it's six eight. You know, it's a good fit for for the closer. Um, Wells has had some struggles here as he hits the late season uh, fatigue, um, but for Tyler Wells, I'm going to go with the classic adios mother, which is an actual cocktail. It's my hope that Tyler Wells bounces back. And whenever we see him running uh, from the bullpen, we'll have the confidence to say to the opposing teams, adios. So the the Tyler Wells is is basically just an adios. That's uh, an ounce, a shot of gin, a shot of white rum, a shot of tequila, a shot of blue carousel, a shot of vodka, a shot of uh, lemon juice, a little little bit more than a shot, and then... um, some some simple syrup. Okay. It's so, basically a Long Island, but blue. So that's three coin effects that I'm putting in there. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, that's no problem. Uh, so we need a simple drink. We need something that you can just walk into pickles and order. The other ones that we've talked about to date are maybe a little bit fancier. Sure. Is the best way to put it. But I want something that you can just sling around. Uh, I bet you do. I, I, absolutely. So I, I, I chose this one for Trey Mancini. I'm going to call it the Orange Boom Boom. Hmm. Uh, we're going to do one ounce of orange vodka or a shot of orange vodka and then you're going to top it off with Red Bull afterwards. So I think it's a good pickle string to basically call out uh, and, and do it when you're walking into the stadium. Okay, okay. And and the Red Bull gives you you know some energy for for a good comeback on any night. Uh, it gives you plenty of energy to be with Sarah Perman later that night. Okay. Uh, I've got a drink for Cedric Mullins. Okay. Um, this is, uh, I think it's appropriate. You can tell me if, if I've hit the mark or I've missed sure. it. Sure. I think Cedric Mullins is embodied by the classic beer beer garita oh beer garita yeah yeah yeah. so the drink is just like our all-star center fielder it starts off exciting it has a step down in quality uh, as if it's been sent to double a and then has a 30 30 finish hear me out here's here's the the beer garita i have in mind to be the cedric mullins um a can of limeade okay right um and and then hang on to the can for the rest of the ingredients uh a can of water okay okay a half can of a very specific tequila brand called 3030. Okay. Uh, one can of National Bohemian. Okay. Uh, or if you want to be a little less Baltimore about it, maybe some Bud Light Lime. And then uh, a can of, of uh, uh, you know, 7-Up or, or Sprite or whatever your lemon lime soda is of choice. Makes a nice pitcher. Uh, when you pour it out, you can either salt the rim or if you want to get really Baltimore about it, you can Old Bay up the rim. Uh, but I think Cedric Mullins, again, the 30-30, the step down in quality that is the beer, but the nice finish. Cedric Mullins. See, I went with Mullins as well for one of my cocktails, but I went with more of a Baltimore aspect for the Baltimore, for the for my Mullins cocktail. I'm excited. 
Because in classic Baltimore on style, when you're doing nicknames, you've got to go with a little alliteration. So, Jake, I'm going to go with my muddled Mullins cocktail. So it's going to be uh, a bourbon with muddled peaches, simple syrup, and bitters on top. I considered going with a mule for, yep. for Mullins, but I, I uh, laid off of it. Well, we're going to just go with muddled muddle, Mullins. I like Say it. that seven times fast. I refuse, <laughs> especially after enjoying a few Cedric Mullinses. Uh, let's talk about a drink for Anthony Santander. I wanted something traditionally British, mm-hmm. right? Something that was uh, of the UK yeah. for, for obvious reasons. Um, and there are so many British drinks that we could have gone with. I'm going with one of my favorites. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the Gimlet. Okay. The Gimlet was supposedly named after Admiral Sir Thomas Gimlet who uh, was supposedly the first to uh, mix gin, uh, gin with a lime cordial. Uh, whether or not that story is true, a gimlet is, is just about any cocktail with gin and lime, right? Uh, but my favorite gimlet is the arugula gimlet. Um, nice peppery flavor from the arugula. And basically, you know, when you, when you shake your ice, you put about a cup of arugula into there, mix it with the rest of the ingredients, shake it up, until you know the the leaves break down and it makes a nice muddled uh, green color, but the peppery um, flavor gets into that, and then leave all of the the arugula in the shaker. Put a little bit on for your next uh, your next batch. It's even better. So two ounces of gin, uh, three quarters of an ounce of lime juice, half of an ounce of simple syrup, one cup of arugula shake like there's no tomorrow i I like to think that the the green is like the grass stain Mm. of anthony santander having tried to make a play in the outfield but for me anthony santander is the the arugula gimlet so jake my last one is not really a cocktail per se but it's more of an experience oh no uh so jake uh you're at the bar um, you're ordering, you know, your arugula gimlet, as it were. Um, My Anthony Santander. Your Anthony Santander. You're you're walking through precisely how it's supposed to be done and everything like that, and you're creating, in essence, what would be the perfect cocktail for the evening. And then you drop it, and it gets past you. So I'm calling this the Severino. <laughs> going forward, when this happens, I like it. <laughs> So any party foul at the bar is a Severino. Yeah, so like if you're making a cocktail and all of a sudden it, it slips out of your hands and, you know, falls on the floor and gets past you, that's pulling a Severino, basically. <laughs> I like this. I like this a lot. I, ha- I have a bonus. Okay. Um, this is not uh, particularly highbrow, uh, but when we were in college, my roommates and I would make this drink, and maybe there's a name for it and maybe there's not, uh, but we used to drink a lot of grapefruit juice. And so we would mix grapefruit juice with uh, coconut rum and a crap ton of lime juice and top it off with tonic. I don't know if that's a real cocktail. I think that's called a drama club special. <laughs> but it, it reminds me uh, very much of, of uh, co- uh, college, very much of good times. But the grapefruit connection reminds me very much of spring training mm-hmm. and of, of the good times about to, to come for a, a new season. So I'm going to call the Grapefruit League this mm, cocktail, what, whatever this is, what, whatever, you know, you guys uh, at home can correct me if this is a real thing. But that, that beverage, uh, which exists only in my memory, I'm going to call the Sarasota because when baseball is on the horizon, we want to reach back for nostalgia. 
Enjoy yourself a Sarasota. Folks, what did we miss? Who did we miss? Let us know. Contact us at BirdseyeViewBAL on Twitter. Send us something over a DM if you just don't want to be name-called out. But we are looking for your suggestions uh, for what kind of cocktails we should be putting together as Birdland next year uh, when we're watching the Baltimore Orioles. We need a replacement for the drunk Gary Thorne, and we need your help. With that, let's go ahead and figure out who won this week in Fantasy Boss. I knew I should have gone with John Means. Oh, when it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, oh baby, you sure do swing. When it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, oh daddy, you are the king. Baby, you've got me beat up and down, inside out and across. Scott, it feels good. Feels good to win. Feels good to bask in the glow of a fantasy boss win. But I'd love to break this down for you. Explain why I won. Explain why I'm better. But I'm not going to do it unless you pay up. So you're saying if I pay up, you can explain to me how on a weekly basis you continue to beat me. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Luck. It's luck. It's luck. Yeah. Luck dragon. Uh, so... I won Fantasy Boss this past week. Our last episode of the category was innings pitched by a starter. Scott went with Chris Ellis, who gave the team five innings over the next seven days. I went with Keegan Aiken, who tallied six. Again, Scotty, it was a race to the bare minimum for the both of us. But that does put us in a precarious position here. It does. The score is now nine to eight in my favor. You are up to pick the category, and it is getting it's getting tight. I feel like this is it, though. Like We don't have anything else past this, right? Well, how many games are left? So we've got this weekend, and then we've got like three games in Toronto next week. Right. I think it ends on the 2nd. Is that right? Yeah, like October 2nd or 3rd. So this is the final fantasy boss? I think this is like the final fantasy boss. So you're telling me that the best case scenario for you is a tie? Uh, on contraire, as you know, the rules are, are can always be at change. So, uh, Jake, the category I'm going to go with is simple. We're going to go with WOBA. Hmm. But... We're going to pick two players each of who could be potentially your highest Woba. And we'll give two points out this week. And on top of it, for an added asterisk, because it's classic bird's eye view style, Cedric Mullins is off the board. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is John Means available? John Means is available. So if you would like to take him and hope that he gets a DH start, <laughs> by all means, go for it. He is no Shoyatani. Okay. So let me see if I get this straight. Sure. We're each going to pick... Two players for Woba. Yes. And each each uh, highest, there will be two points awarded. Yes. So, okay. Okay. Uh, so I need to I need to select two. two. <laughs> by, the way, <laughs> by the way, in the last two weeks, John means the second on the club. Yes. With a 414 Woba. <laughs> Woba. <laughs> uh, which is pretty good. Pretty good. Which is pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, number three, by the way, was Ramon Urias at... 374 which probably not going to be good for you to pick this week no, so probably probably not a good idea at all all right so uh do you want to go back and forth for yes picks? we're going to go back and forth with picks oh, okay I, I don't feel good about this at all scotty um 
Central Mons is off the table. Um, I am going to go with Ryan Mountcastle. All right. I think that's a great pick. I'm going to go with the hero of September so far. I'm going to go with Austin Hayes. I think that's a better pick. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to have to go with my heart and say Trey Mancini. Perfect. Uh, and I'm going to finish it out with the hero that we all want. The hero that we all need. Jake, I'm going to win fantasy ball this year with Jemai Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I would like nothing better <laughs> than to lose my first ever fantasy boss on the back of Jeremiah Jones. So Jeremiah Jones needs to beat Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini in Woba this week in order for me to win fantasy boss. And Austin Hastel needs to win, win out of out, others individuals too. In the last two weeks, Jeremiah Jones has a Woba of 163. I mean, it could happen. I, you know, Scotty, I am absolutely, <laughs> I'm absolutely pulling for you this week. I mean, weirder things have been known to happen in Birdland, so I'm I'm pulling for Jemai Jones. <laughs> I'll just say that much. All right, so we are going to have a wild finish <laughs> for this year's fantasy boss. Oh goodness! Got to say, I think that is a classic Jake English pick to pick Jemai Jones to end fantasy boss. All right, well, let's figure out who is good, who is bad, and who is ugly uh, this past week in Birdland. That's right. It's that time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. For my good this week, I'm going to go with John Means. Had a great week. He had a great week. But I'm I'm not going to follow the rules. We haven't we haven't had a show in two weeks. I'm going to talk about the last two weeks. All right. John Means had a great two weeks. Um, in his last three starts in that time since we've been together, uh, he pitched seven innings, five and two thirds innings, six and two thirds innings. And not once giving more than two earned runs, including putting up a scoreless spot in his last start. Uh, John Means had a, you know, a rough go of it right after he came back from uh, the IL. I would say uh, for the past two weeks, he's been good. He's meant business. I uh, would agree with that. So, um, yeah, let, let's go with my good for the week. Uh, it's going to go to Austin Hayes. Um, I think he had a really nice week of three home runs. 174 weighted runs created plus. But again, if we're not going to play by the rules, and I'm perfectly fine with that, um, Austin, uh, Austin has had an amazing September so far. Mm-hmm. 163 weighted runs created plus, 413 Woba. Just a really nice um, September and October. And in reality, a nice second half of the season with a 113 weighted runs created plus. So um, credit where credit's due. Austin Hayes has been pretty decent for the second half of the year. Um, enough for me to say, yep, I want to continue to see more of him going forward in the future. Yeah, and healthy. Yep, absolutely. All right, my bad for this uh, last two weeks is going to go to Kelvin Gutierrez. Uh, we did not bring him onto the club Maybe. for his offensive prowess by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but he in the in the last, uh, let's say, 14 games that he's appeared, he's amassed 49 at-bats or plate appearances, and he's, he's done next to nothing with them. In that time, he's had a 63-weighted runs created plus – uh, yeah, not not a whole lot going on. He's he's batting a, a crisp two twenty two. 
striking out uh, with a 28.6 K percentage against only 8.2 uh, walk percentage. Just not really making much of a case for himself the way, you know, we have lauded uh, Ramon Urias uh, for. I-, I wouldn't say that Gutierrez was necessarily expected to to blossom, but, uh, you know, to put himself in the utility infielder spot, it was there for the taking. Yeah. Um, my bat's going to go to Austin Wins. Um, and the reason I'm bringing up Austin Wins is, again, it's kind of been a, we'll call it an uninspiring performance this past week, but just an uninspiring performance on the whole for the given season. Um, platooning with Severino, I think it's going to be a really interesting question of what are the Orioles going to do with the catching situation going into 2022. Obviously, we know Rutschman is going to play. Um but I think it's a really interesting time for the Orioles to potentially pair him with a really dependable backup catcher. And I think back to the times of Caleb Joseph and Matt Wieters and knowing how valuable that was going to be, specifically because you're still going to want to play Rutschman at first base or DH on occasion too. So I think it's going to be incredibly important that the Orioles look at what they're getting out of Austin Wins, what they're getting out of Pedro Severino, both from an offensive but also a pitching development standpoint, and then also pairing um, uh, Adley with somebody that maybe has a little bit more seniority slash experience as well to feel it through. And I don't think Severino is the right person for that. And I definitely know that wins is not the right person for that. So wins gets my bad for the week, mainly because I think it may be one of the last times we talk about wins in the Orioles organization going forward. So you're saying that they've got to bring back chance Cisco. I'm saying they have to bring back Caleb Joseph. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jake's like, that. I'm okay with that. Uh, my ugly this week is going to go to an experience that we shared. Scott and I went to the uh, September 16th game, uh, got to enjoy the company of several thousand Yankees fans, and I do not like it, Sam, I am. I do not like it at all. They're unpleasant. They make the ballpark experience unpleasant. Now, of course, Scott pointed out that there were some uh, gentlemen in our section who uh, decided to start chanting about the Orioles being in last place. I did uh, my very best, hey, you need to shut up, glare. And I'll tell you, it was a, it was a um, concert night. It was a concert night. And uh, by the end of the game, uh, <clears throat> they were a lot more quiet. I, don't, I can't imagine why. Um, Maybe it was because they're in fourth place. <laughs> Uh, but we actually ended up uh, sitting in the second row uh, right next to them, and they were they were perfectly nice. They were, you know, per- perfectly nice gentlemen. Uh, Yankees fans, you are gross. You are gross when you are at Camden Yards. Why can't you not be jerks? You're ugly. Yeah. Uh, ugly for the week. Honestly, I think the most ugly thing that I would say would be like Michael Ballman. Um, and again, he didn't pitch that much. But it's been some disappointing performances out of him. Um, I I'm not in I'm not worried about it at this point. But it was just a really bad performance for for Michael Ballman. So um, I'd like to see how he finishes up strong for the rest of the season. Um, but let's call it a disappointment more than an ugly for me uh, on that on that front. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll tell you what is it is it time. I think it's time. Um, so why don't we go ahead and blow the save? And uh, oh no 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 no! Isn't it time that I get paid? Oh again? Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll let you blow the save, and I'll make the determination of whether you should be paid or not. Will it be Australian money? I think it'll be better than Australian money. Okay, it'll be dingoes. <laughs> 
You know, despite the fact that there aren't that many great uh, games to watch here in September, there are a lot of great memories to look back on in September as far as the Orioles are concerned. You know, it's crazy to me that it's been so long ago that Cal Ripken broke the streak, uh, but early September is obviously... You know, the time where, you know, the fifth and the sixth where we talk about, oh, it's been X years since uh, Ripken broke the streak and everybody, you know, thinks back to that time and, and how amazing that was to live through, uh, you know, all 2.7 million people that live in the metro area were there in the ballpark. Yeah, we all know that. Um, we just talked a couple weeks ago about it being the 25th anniversary of uh, Murray hitting his 500th home run, uh, but one that's a little more recent is that uh, the 16th, when we happen to be in the ballpark, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mexican pesos at this point. The 16th is Clinchmas. Yes. Except Clinchmas was seven years ago. Yeah. It's been seven years. Yikes. Do you know why that's the case? Why? Because you haven't done enough recently. (laughs) In 2014, you literally gave it it your all, and um, what can I say? I thank you for what you do here. Dave Wallace recognizes it. And uh, ever since 2014, you've been letting them down. Okay, there you've been are, letting them down. There are first graders that weren't alive when when Clinchmas happened. Yep. Yikes. Yeah. I am looking forward to the Orioles being better. I am looking forward to making new meaningful. September memories. Hopefully they're around the corner. Hopefully. And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our, wait, stop. I'm going to need to get paid to read this outro. Uh, I'm all out at this point. Well, we have a student debt crisis in this country for a reason. Um, yep. Go talk to Elizabeth Warren about that. <laughs> and that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Birds Eye View is available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And I hope you enjoyed this $50 to $100 worth of content. Seriously. Here's the thing I like about this show mm-hmm. when we do something, we lean in, we do it cheap. <laughs> we were committed to an ideal this evening. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.